Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Christian Studies. This is Ryan Shelton, your host, and today we're going to be talking about the T&T Clark Handbook of Ecclesiology. I'm joined today by Kimlin J. Bender and D. Stephen Long, editors of this volume, and I'm so excited to introduce them both to you. Uh, Kimlin, can we start with you? I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you. Uh, Good to be on, Ryan. Um, Yeah, I am professor of Christian theology at Truett Seminary at Baylor University, where I teach historical theology and systematic theology. Those are my primary responsibilities here. Um, uh, In terms of research, most of my research focuses on modern theology and the modern period, particularly the 19th and 20th centuries. I have a particular interest in the theology of Karl Barth, but I write widely in modern theology, and I also have a a broad interest in ecclesiology among systematic disciplines. Thank you so much for that. And Steve, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your your work? Yes, I'm the McGuire University Professor of Ethics here at Southern Methodist University, just up the road from Kimlin in Waco. And I teach uh, across the curriculum. I teach in the philosophy department, the religious studies department, and uh, Perkins School of Theology. I teach everything from systematics to ethics to of course, the philosophy of the good life. I work in the intersection of theology and ethics. I've written and taught in both, and I'm a bit of a generalist, if that's still possible today, uh, and uh, focus a bit on um, uh, theology and economics. Uh, my most recent book is um, The Art of Cycling, Living, and Dying, which uh, talks about a, a medical mishap I had as a, as a 40-year-old cyclist a few years ago. So I, mm-hmm. I uh, I've written a number of things, but almost always on moral theology. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for for coming to share about the T&T Clark Handbook of Ecclesiology. Now, some of our listeners uh, might be wondering, okay, ecclesiology, I think I know that something to do with the church. Um, This is, well, it's a massive subject, isn't it? Uh, Let's maybe just start with a bit of a definition. Um, What are some of the topics that fall under this theological domain? I would say in one sense, everything falls under ecclesiology, or ecclesiology leads to everything. Hmm. Um, it, it helps us understand creation. It helps us understand redemption. It helps us understand eschatology. It helps us understand why we have the, the doctrine of the triune God, which is an essential part of our worship. So the doctrine of ecclesiology has become central, especially in in the last couple of centuries, even including uh, those of us who have a strong interest in political theology and theological ethics. Yeah, I think I think that just to add to that a little bit, exactly. Um, the, ecclesiology is a very broad discipline because it looks back to Trinity, Christology, and the Spirit, but it also looks forward to things like ethics and politics. It looks forward to sociology, even sociology of religion or ethnography, what we call ethnography today. And one of the difficulties of ecclesiology is it's both, the church stands both between God and the world. Uh, it's from God, 
and it's very much theologically understood, but it's also, of course, a reality in the world. The church takes concrete existence in institutions and particular confessions and different traditions. And so looking across all those those questions makes it a very broad topic. Well, thanks for for that introduction. Now, you you have this task in front of you as editors of this volume. You have to find some people to contribute chapters. How did you go about that process? Who did you find? Who can we find in this handbook? Well, one of the the things that I, when I was thinking about this project and and Steve and I did this together, I I was so happy to do it with Steve for lots of reasons. Uh, Not only is he a great theologian, but Steve just has a very ecumenical background, uh, is very well networked. Uh, has a very strong uh, connection with the with the Catholic and Orthodox traditions, where mine are more in the Protestant traditions. And I think we brought different things to the project, and therefore we could draw on different kinds of people and have a, a, a really good list of contributors, I think. That's right. Kimlin initiated the project and got in touch with me. And our conversation began before we became friends over his Karl Barth's Christological Ecclesiology. I was working on a book on Barth and von Balthasar, and I was very uh, unhappy with a lot of the, uh, secondary treatments on Bart's ecclesiology. And when I read Kimlin's, I thought, this is a wonderful book. So we had initiated that conversation. And I think that also gave us, it, in editing a volume, you don't want it so disparate that it, there's no coherence to it. Hmm. I think our common sort of interest in Bart and, and Bart's ecclesiology and Christology gave the volume a bit of a coherence. And at the same time, we had significant uh, different interests that uh, we could draw upon them. So I drew on my own network and he drew on his network. Uh, so we had we had this kind of similarity with with the differences. Uh, my work as a Methodist, uh, I'm very interested in Anglican theology, Catholic theology. So I think it's ecumenical. There's a lot of diversity, but it's not incoherent. I think that's a really helpful way of putting the the range that we find here. Now you've you've now assembled this this team of contributors, and uh, you have to kind of put some some order to how this is all going to come together uh, in in these chapters. So so what are what what is the organization of this handbook, and and how does that help us grapple with this? Um, well, as you said, Steve, that this subject that has a little bit of everything in it. Right. We had a lot of conversations about this and looked at some other uh, volumes and came up with the idea that we'll have we'll organize the volume in in terms of uh, a, a threefold pattern, beginning with scriptural foundations. We begin with the Old Testament, the New Testament, Paul, uh, and, and so on, and then move into the historical and confessional traditions, followed by the third part, which I think is really unique and important in this volume. I mean, they all are, don't get me wrong. You have to do that foundational work first. Uh, and there's some fantastic chapters in that, in that, uh, those first two parts. And then we brought it into what really are Kimlin and my interest, which is uh, contemporary theological uh, doctrines and ethics. So the third part is theological and critical explorations. Yeah, I think one of the things we did as well is we do not have separate chapters on the on the creedal marks or the, the, the reformational marks or sacraments 
or uh, orders of ministry, these have been historically very contentious among traditions. So we've allowed every tradition and every chapter to take up those questions. We instructed every author to do that and to do that from within their tradition rather than having a chapter written by one person in one tradition uh, giving an overview of those topics. So when you read the chapters, you can see just the diversity of views of orders of ministry, uh, sacraments, and other questions like that. I think that's helpful. We neither... We didn't try to resolve the ecclesial differences uh, mm-hmm. and didn't get involved in that in, in any way. We just sort of let them sit there uh, so that the reader can make sense of them. And we did it in terms of the people we invited. They are almost every one of them is a practitioner in the tradition out of which they wrote. So we wanted them to write from the heart of their tradition mm-hmm. rather than having people who are going to be, you know, critical uh, and, and sort of stand outside as observers. We very much wanted participants. And I think that comes through. We wanted people to love the tradition that they are writing out mm-hmm. of and even, you know, make a case for it. Yeah, I think that's really important. And that's that's a difference between the chapters and the volume as a whole. The chapters can be prescriptive. They can write very strongly from a, a standpoint within a tradition. But Steve and I really felt that we wanted to, as editors, step back and allow the full diversity of different views of the church and the traditions to stand. We did not want to be prescriptive in how we were editing the volume. So the volume is quite diverse in standpoint between the chapters and so forth, but um, the chapters themselves are very committed that way. That is one of the things that I appreciated so much looking at this volume. And in, you've talked about this diversity uh, that the reader now gets to enjoy as they go through. And it, right towards the end of the introduction, you have this really helpful list of questions. I think you said something like, well, the contributors of this volume didn't have the advantage that you as the reader now have to get to compare these things. And you, and you give us some questions to think through the different kinds of ways some of these things are going to be presented. Uh, I know I was especially interested in the, the the rise of ecclesiology in the 20th century, but there's also uh, this question of church versus gospel, which comes first. Could you talk a little bit about some of those those questions that a reader might take into this subject? Yeah, I, I think the, the question of the priority of church and gospel is something that's very deep. Um, there's a very famous statement by de Lubach on this, for example, um, where if you read de Lubach and you read John Webster, particularly some of John Webster's earlier uh, works, but all the way through, you'll see really different ways of coming at that question. And we wanted that to, to highlight that in the introduction, in a sense, to show, to give a roadmap of things that people would see, but also questions for reflection that they could reflect on on their own, looking at the diversity of different kinds of traditions and the way they, even within traditions, the way they might answer certain questions. I think that's helpful. That's exactly what we wanted to do. We, we really did assemble this together for the sake of readers, mm-hmm. that they can see the disagreements, the differences, and uh, without adjudicating these differences ourselves. We have a lot of similarities, but then there were, even Kimlin and I, would, I think, would have some, some distinctions in our, our various positions on ecclesiology. Uh, and if we knew how to resolve all of these, we would have we would have been involved in, you know, ecumenical uh, councils or something. Um, so I, I like the fact that they sort of sit there and invite the reader to, to, to attend to, you know, should you think of the church as the 
continuation of the incarnation. Well, who thinks that and why and who finds that reprehensible? Mm-hmm. What do you do with Sola Scriptura? You know, we have someone like Kevin Van Hooser, who has a very sophisticated interpretation of Sola Scriptura and yet has a place for ecclesiology. And then we have someone like Francesca Murphy, who has a very Roman Catholic, uh, albeit a Vatican II account, appreciative uh, account of ecclesiology. So we didn't even always point out the differences or the distinctions, but really just gave the the reader some questions to think about. And then, of course, every reader is going to bring their own uh, interests and concerns to the text. So let, let's talk a little bit about the reader. Who Who's the ideal reader for this? Uh, who of our listeners uh, who might be stumbling into this conversation uh, would you hope would, would go and, and pick up a copy of this book? I think anyone who cares about the church, and that should be every Christian, <laughs> might find this book helpful. Um, especially seminarians, pastors, uh, maybe interested laypersons. I think people who know the church uh, can be a bit of a mess right now uh, and, and uh, you know, recognizes that the messiness of the church uh, is not something that we can simply fix through our own uh, strategies, deployments, uh, technologies, uh, trying to live with the messiness of the church. I think anybody who's trying to do that without abandoning the church could find this book really useful. Yeah. I, I, I find in my own, when I was, when I was younger, particularly getting into different disciplines that what's helpful is to think of a kind of general seminarian or graduate school reader and to write the chapters in such a way that they are a broad, uh, accessible introduction to their topic rather than a kind of narrow idiosyncratic view of the particular writer. So we, we put that, we had, somewhat detailed instructions of what we were looking for to give uniformity to the volume. And I think by and large, and overall, that's, that's definitely true. I think that there are just fantastic chapters in here. If you want to learn about the history of Anglican ecclesiology, or if you want to know the history of Methodist ecclesiology, Paul Fittis on Baptist ecclesiology, being a, a Baptist is a fantastic chapter. Uh, Steve already mentioned Francesca's wonderful chapter. So I think that they, they can, someone outside of of a tradition can read that and say, I have an introduction. I have a solid introduction to what this tradition is about. And I think the same holds for the biblical chapters and for the dogmatic chapters. I think in that sense, it really is a handbook mm-hmm. that you could read all the way through to gain knowledge of ecclesiology. Or if you're working on a particular topic, you could begin with one of these chapters, like the, the you know, patristic ecclesiology in the Greek East with Greek East with George Calancis. And then, you know, there are sources. It could launch you out, give you a general overview and then launch you out uh, in uh, for more specific work to be done. That is really helpful. I think some of our listeners who have maybe come across academic edited volumes before might worry that this could be really technical or really um, intramural in the guild, as it were. But I think it's very introductory as well as being very broad and and well organized. Now, this is maybe an unfair question, maybe like asking a a parent to to name their favorite child. But I'm not going to ask for your favorite chapter, but perhaps uh, a chapter maybe that stands out um, something that would be of a special interest to maybe a newcomer to this subject or or maybe one that would be especially valuable to someone who is uh, deeply invested or into the weeds already? Well, I'm the parent of three children, 
And one of the rules of that is you do you don't have favorite children. But I, I'll, I, this is the way I would answer that. A couple of things I would say. Number one, and this is not self-serving for Steve and I, but I, I would really hope people do read the introduction. I think the introduction tries to give a broad introduction to kind of the, the formal, historical, and especially dogmatic ways of thinking of how ecclesiology is related to trinity how it's related to christology how it's related to the spirit how's it how then on the other side it's related to social science and ethnography and questions like that and i think we put some it's brief but i think steve and i put some time into that as an introduction the second thing i would say is you can read pairs of chapters i think in really interesting ways mm-hmm. so one thing steve mentioned before is kevin van hooser's chapter it's very much that what ecclesiology is is it is a dogmatic discipline it's a systematic theological account of the church and then you read nicholas healy's chapter on ethnography and you you see him pushing back in certain ways against mm-hmm. uh, uh, that and each to be honest each pushing back against not personally the other, but these different disciplines. And I think that that's a helpful way to read. Or for example, I'll give one more example. If you want to think about the ecumenical breadth of these kinds of questions, um, think, for example, of, um, for example, Francesca Murphy's on Catholicism, and then Mel Robeck's excellent chapter on Pentecostalism. And you see very different ways of thinking about orders of ministry, about the, uh, the place of spirit and institution in the church. So I think there are kind of interesting parallels uh, in the book itself. Um, again, I don't think there's a favorite chapter for me, but there are different ways of reading the book and not only straight through, but kind of different ways of comparing ecumenically and dogmatic questions. Agreed. I I also let Kimlin have three children and three grandchildren and know that you don't choose favorites uh, and also know that you give them all the same instructions and they come out a bit differently, (laughs) which is what happened to these chapters as well. But I would say this, I do believe all the chapters are solid. There's not a chapter here that we settled for. Hmm. Uh, we sent some chapters back and asked for revisions and people were very, uh, accommodating. We, we gave the, uh, Kim, as Kimlin said, we gave instructions for what we hoped the chapters would accomplish and, and all the authors really made an effort to do that. Um, I, I find John Nugent's chapter that starts on the old Testament to be just a brilliant chapter. He begins, the old Testament has been grossly neglected in ecclesiological studies. And then he develops the importance, you know, of the church out of Old Testament studies. I think that's really important foundational work. And of course, we knew John's work elsewhere. So we invited him to, to do that. Um, you know, I, again, I hate to almost single out chapters because they're also good. I enjoyed all the chapters on the doctrinal loci. I think they're really helpful. Uh, putting together ecclesiology and trinity like Fred Sanders did or Kimlin's on Christology and ecclesiology, Joe Mangina on pneumatology and ecclesiology. And then I, too, like some of the juxtapositions. Uh, Nick Healy's chapter, which is is a, is a challenge. It challenges even my own ideas of, of uh, how you should think about ecclesiology. But, but, you know, Nick is a very thoughtful critic, someone you have to, you have to take into account. And that's juxtaposed with uh, Stanley Hauerwas and Jonathan Tran's very different chapter. And I think reading those two chapters together, as well as the one with, with Kevin, could be very useful for someone. Well, one thing that always comes to mind with uh, a state of the field or a handbook like this, um, these do tend to become books that graduate students who are maybe thinking about 
you know, master's theses or, or doctoral dissertations might pick up to try and scope out where there might be room for more work to be done. So I want you to imagine if you if you two were to, to make a sequel for this uh, in five or 10 years, where, where's the field going? What do you hope um, would be included um, that that is just uh, there's still some work to be done? Well, when did we start this, Kimlin? Two, 2017, 2018, something, think, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot has happened since 2018 that goes by the term unprecedented. And, um, you know, I think ecclesiology has new issues to, to confront. Uh, the rise of Christian nationalism, Catholic integralism, um, the avowal of unjust wars by uh, Orthodox patriarchs, uh, the connection between ecclesiology and, and white supremacy. Those, those convey my own interests in uh, uh, political and um, uh, moral theology. Um, uh, so there, there's just much more to be done. Yeah, I would start by saying I, I, I agree with that. I, I would say one small thing is that when we did set up the volume, we didn't want it to be dated too quickly. So there is a sense in which these are classical chapters on historic questions. But certainly there, you know, the work that needs to be done is then, of course, to move from there into more specific things. I think we have excellent chapters on um, the church in the developing world, on liberation theology. I think they're fantastic. But there's no doubt that as ecclesiology as a discipline continues to grow, we're going to see more and more handbooks welcome and be welcome from other parts of the world. Um we know that we're speaking from a particular place and time with this handbook, and, and we're very aware of that. Um, and we've made our contribution, and we look forward to other contributions from around the world. And, and um, I think that's another thing that we would say. We even say that in the intro um, th- that's mentioned in the introduction. So, yeah, there's, there's lots of room for growth. But uh, in terms of our intention, I think our intention was to provide chapters that, that do give a firm biblical and historical and dogmatic understanding. It is a foundational text in that sense, and I think uh, I'm not sure we would do a volume two. Um, I think I think that the the work that would come after this would build on this, and in fact, my own uh, my own work is an extension of the the chapter on ecclesiology and ethics, where I talk about the infused virtues. I was working on that a, a text at the time that I did this. But um, I have a, a book coming out next year called Infusing Virtue on Learning and Teaching Ethics, which is not it, what this book does at all, but it certainly builds upon it. And I think there'll be a lot of people who can point to the texts, the chapters in this volume, this handbook, as a way to show what they were doing next. Well, I can't thank you enough for for the the work that you've done in this volume, um, for taking the time to come and and talk with us about it. But before we let you go, what else are you working on? Um, What can we be looking forward to? Uh, You've said there's not going to be a a sequel to this anytime soon, but but what else can we be uh, expecting from you? Well, um, since that book, um, two recent projects, one that'll come out in paperback in February, it's already out in hardcover, is a, a collection of my work called Reflections on uh, on Reformational Theology. And the first chapter in that particularly, but the whole volume deals with ecclesiological questions. The first one on uh, the particular kind of convictions that came out of the broad Reformation, what we call the Reformation, the Lutheran Reformed and Anabaptist traditions. Um, and I think I have a contribution to make there. Um, another book that'll be coming out very, very soon that 
when I was asked to think about doing it, I was approached and said, you're, you're an ecclesiology guy. Um, this is a book for you. And so I just completed uh, 1 Corinthians in the Brazos Theological Commentary of the Bible series. And 1 Corinthians is, of course, a thoroughly ecclesiological book. Um, it's, I would argue, a deeply Christological book that shapes its ecclesiology. So those are two mm. big projects that I've had recently. And then I'm working currently on a paper that I'll be giving at the Los Angeles Theology uh, Conference in March in Los Angeles, uh, which is on this year on ecclesiology. That's its topic for all the papers. I mentioned already the Infusing Virtue book. I've been focused really since this project on the infused virtues of faith, hope, and love, and how they recalibrate the virtue tradition. I think they're not given significant due in uh, moral theology. So I hope the rest of the time that I have, Lord willing to to read and write, uh, will be focused on that very question. I should say this, um, I just finished the Routledge Companion to Christian Ethics. I was asked to edit that, and it in 2019, I edited it with my colleague here at SMU, Southern Methodist University, Becca Miles. Um, it probably will be the last one of these I do. There are a lot of work. Uh, but I have to say, I owe so much to Kimlin. He was a consummate editor. He was so good at uh, sort of showing me how to do this, that I, I could I could use the template that he did for, for our TNT Clark handbook for this volume, which will be out in December. So I've, it's been just a delight and joy to work with him. Well, that, that's that's mutual, as I've said. I was just thrilled to work with Steve. I mean, not only because of his friendship, and but also because of his reputation. It's just expertise across so many areas. So, I'm I'm pleased. I think he's pleased with how the volume turned out, and I'm. It's a, it was a it was a great joy to work with him, and actually to spend time with him. Yep. Yep. Uh, agreed. <laughs> well, thank you both for spending the time with us today. The book is the T&T Clark Handbook of Ecclesiology, edited by Kimlin J. Bender and D. Stephen Long. Um, thank you both so much for coming to, to talk with us. Thank you. thank you, Ryan. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into this episode of New Books and Christian Studies. You can visit newbooksnetwork.com and browse our catalog of over 12,000 author interviews in any subject your heart could desire. But that's it for now. I hope you have a great day.